you, God. But I thought tonight, basically uh, one week before the Christmas day that we all celebrate in December on the 25th, I thought I would talk about something that I think is really, really key to Christmas. Uh, well, the two things that are key to Christmas, and that is God and family. The family of God that I believe is gathered here. And to be perfectly honest with you, the single most important thing that transformed my life, which was me entering in to a new family. God turned me into a new creation, and then he brought me into his home, which is the church. And I've been kicking and scratching and fighting my way to heaven ever since. I want to tell you something. There's a reason God does what he does in your life, and there's a reason why you're sitting here this evening. We're going to read from two scriptures. One is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. The other one is in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Now, when I think about Christmas, honestly, for me, since I've been saved, my focus has always been on the family of Jesus. Because for me, I've had the ups and downs and all the kinds of swings that you can have. I've had Christmases where my family was broken apart. I come from a broken home. I've had Christmases where there were no gifts under the tree. Uh, I've had Christmases where my dad was so drunk that it didn't start until noon. I've had Christmases that were truly wonderful. I can remember the first Christmas that I got saved in this church. We had very little, but I was able to get my wife a little cat named Marshall. And Marshall was uh, probably the greatest thing that I ever experienced, the first Christmas with Marshall. Uh, he loved to be finicky and he loved all the, the toys and we didn't have a kid back then and so Marshall got all the gifts and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, we truly enjoyed it. I still can look back fondly at those pictures and I want you to consider that tonight, God's family, you know, that God does things uh, because the Bible doesn't doesn't pull any punches here. It paints a very different picture than we often assume. Because in the context of family, what God is saying is that we have a relationship with Him. That He deals with us like a father deals with a son. That we are able to do His will just like a, a father would hand over the family business to his son. And maybe we all have to deal with something that that God wants us to deal with, that, that we all have trouble with. Anyone who has an older brother knows what I'm talking about, and that is that Jesus, he's the figure of our older brother. He gets the inheritance. He's the perfect one. And you have to deal with that. 
The fact that you're never going to upstage Jesus. You're never going to walk into God's house and, and, and be the one, the most important one in the house. Because Jesus is going to be there. And all the glory and all the power and all the authority is going to go to Jesus. And you're going to be his little younger brother or his little younger sister. Unlike our natural brothers and sisters, though, he probably isn't going to beat us up. See, he's going to help us fulfill our Father's destiny for us and the purpose for our lives. Wouldn't that be nice if we all had brothers on earth that helped us fulfill the destiny of God? One of the things that I've prayed for recently since my brother got saved just a few, five months ago, six months ago, sorry. Eight months ago. Eight months ago. Time's are flying. I guess he isn't progressing the way I wanted him to. <laughs> no. Uh, honestly, one of the prayers that I prayed is that, that he would be able to help me fulfill the will of God for my life. That, that he would become part of his family. And I really feel great uh, privilege to tell you all that, that uh, he has shared with me on many occasions the kindness that you've shown him and how much it means to him uh, to have real friends. Real friends that, that know God. You know, the Old Testament is, is really clear about this. The imagery, the, the whole thing is about genealogies and it's about Adam and his family. It's about Noah and his family. It's about Abraham and his family. It's about various kings and priests and their families. And uh, the New Testament does something that I want to talk about tonight and that's, it moves beyond that. It moves beyond just flesh and blood. You know, it's the issue of the spirit. It's because of faith. And it's expressed in the terms of God as our father. As I said, Jesus as our elder brother. And our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. Overall, the, the text that we're going to read tonight is about the idea that we all are becoming a household of God. Wouldn't that be neat for us to be in heaven and God to talk about this little household, this little household here that had brothers and sisters move on to build other households in Medellin, Colombia and Ningbo, China. How this household opened up one day and allowed a pastor to come in who could barely speak English from India and preach his first message. And now he has many households in India. You know, this is what it's about. And we don't think about that often enough, I think. And I want to express that tonight because I think God wants to just let us be a household and a family. 
get together. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 says these words, For through him, meaning Jesus Christ, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then Hebrews chapter 3 verse 5 and 6 says these words, And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken after word. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Let's pray tonight. Lord Father God, I ask you, I ask you, Father God, to pour out your presence upon this place so that as one spirit we come together as a household under Christ Jesus. And that, Lord Father God, as we worship you and we glorify you and we exalt the name of Jesus Christ, that this household be magnified and be fruitful and be filled and known by its love. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. The picture that I'm talking about involves something very special, doesn't it? It's a privileged relationship. You know, anyone knows this who can think about the realm and the dimensions of, of blessing that we're talking about here. Um, it's different to be in certain households, isn't it? It, it means something, where you come from and who you are. And it also bears responsibilities, doesn't it? You know? I'll be honest with you, I remember looking at my dad one day and realizing he had a hard time living up to the responsibilities of being an only son in an Italian, Irish, working class family. All of his sisters very successful and him just a hardworking guy who never seemed to get the kind of respect. I remember sitting in family functions and thinking to myself, they, they don't respect him the way that I wish they would. And I remember that responsibility, but I also remember the just intense blessings that I had from being a part of my own family, even my own family, even my flawed human family. I remember the blessings that came from that. You know, God doesn't build families for no reason. He doesn't build them just to dispel them. But there are some myths out there that I think you have to think about. One of the biggest ones that we have to take care of right off the bat, because if we're going to be a family in a household, we have to have someone who runs the household. You're not a household if you're all doing your own thing. You're just a bunch of people who live near each other. Can we say amen or 
It's true. One of the biggest myths is that we're all God's children. That's not true. Entrance into the family of God is conditional. And it's clearly stated in the scripture. You know, it's through Jesus that we become a household with God. You know, another one that we have is once a child of God, always a child of God. I want to tell you something else. Continuance in the kingdom of God is also conditional. Hebrews 3.14 says, partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. If we do that. Steadfast to the end. I've often shared with you the amazing blessing of my children and my family and my wife. But I, I will tell you one thing. One of the most powerful moments in my entire life was when I looked at my wife and said, no matter how bad it gets, we're going to serve God. No matter what. We're going to serve God. No matter how bad. And I want to tell you, that wasn't necessarily an easy thing to say. But can I tell you, the approval that I felt from God is something that I hold in my heart dearly to this day. You know, God met me on a street corner. I was broken and desperate. I had no hope. He met me there. And he told me that I had to give him my life. That's what he told me. And that doesn't change because you spend a few years or a few months or a few days even. Some people nowadays, they think they spend a few days in church, they're all good. There's a lot of people like that. But that's not a family, like I said. Your family knows that it's possible because by their own conduct, by their own lifestyle, by their own heart, and their own faith, they decide to stay within the family. They never move outside of it. They never go outside of it. They say, no, this is my family. A lot of us think we're like the Godfather, you know, and he keeps pulling me back in. But that's not how God is. God sits and he waits for his prodigal son to come. And then when he sees his son has made that decision and come to right thinking, runs to him. But only then. Can I tell you that's what happened to me? That's exactly what happened to me. I don't think that's a mistake by God. It's a, a need that we have to let God renew our minds. To renew the attitudes that we have and the understandings that we have. To have an approach to our own role in the household of God. To say, this is how I need to be. You know, the prodigal son, it's an amazing story because he doesn't go back thinking he's going to have the same position. The amazing 
story is he goes back saying, the worst position in my father's household is better than the best position out here. That's his heart. He realizes what it's like out there. One of the things that I've prayed many times, listen, I've had days where I've been like, I do not want to go to the church today. It's a mess. And I've had to say, God, get the devil out of my head. That is not right thinking. I don't care how many great juices Ramon has dropped on the carpet. I'll come in and clean it. I don't care how many times my kid makes a mess in the nursery. I'll go and I'll clean it gladly. I don't care how many times some teenager comes in here and doesn't even want to be here. I'll preach the word of God. And as a parent, I will bring them gladly into God's house because I love them. Because I care for them. And because I'm going to give them every opportunity to see what God can do in their lives. Because that day, that day, when they run to him, I want to be there. I want to be a part of that household. I know that I said some tough things tonight already, but I want to just tell you something. Being a part of a household is tough. You know, when I think of, like I said, the Christmas spirit and the Christmas holiday, I think of a tough time. You know, I remember a preacher joking about, you know, it's not hard, it's not easy to ride on a donkey while you're pregnant for 50 miles. You know, we glamorize things, don't we? Oh, the humble Jesus in a manger. That's not how it was. It was cold and it was harsh and the conditions weren't good. And it was difficult. And they were saying to themselves, we're going to serve God no matter what. That's what they were saying. Don't get involved in all of the things that aren't of God. You know, Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he writes these words. He's talking to a young pastor who's, you know, he's kids beat up. You know, young pastors, they get beat up. Trust me, I know. First Timothy 3, verse 15, he says these words. He says, but if I am delayed, I write you so that you may know you want to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and ground of the truth. You know, people nowadays, they want to knock churches. They want to knock the local church. Oh, man, the local churches, you got to deal with local people. Nah, you know. Just listen to Joel Olstein, you'll be fine. 
Julie Spires is great. She'll help you. I want to tell you something. That's not the message you get from the Bible. The Bible says that the house of God is the church. That we have an obligation, just like we have an obligation to pay our bills at our home. And living in the light of a relationship is important. You know, we all talk about living in the light of God, right? And, the, you know, having the God's light shine in our lives. But have you ever shined a light in a place that's really dark? Or has been dark for a while? I have. I do it a lot. I inspect old, nasty pump rooms and risers where no one goes for years sometimes. You shine a light in there, and you see some nice things like black widows, some insects that I don't even know what they are. And God is trying to tell you, you need to live in a, in a way that's in light of that situation. I've scared off a lot of things. And you need to understand something. It needs to mean something to you, the house of God, and where you are, and what God has done in your life. You need to esteem it and value it. See, there's an inner relationship with God that has to come where he brings some depth to your life. He brings some understanding. He adds like extra dimensions to who you are as a person. One of the saddest things is to see a Christian die on the vine. See, it's the desire of the Father that he's able to instruct you, correct you, deal with you. And he's also going to do that to us. Have you ever noticed that like, whenever the church tries to do something, there's difficulties? That's because he's dealing with us. He can't just deal with you and you and you. Like, have you ever met the champ parent who treats every one of their little kids special? Oh yeah, Johnny, he gets peanut butter, but it's a real thin layer. And then you have to cut off the edges on the outside. And then, oh, Toby, she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't drink um, grape juice. No, no, we gotta have something special for her. Problem is that you don't have any instruction, you don't have any correction, you don't have any dealing. Instead, you have to continually force and threaten them. See, the psalm says it like this. See, there's a basis of your response that has to come, and it has to be obedient. I learned a lot from some parents here. Some of the tougher ones, I've learned a lot from them. And me and my wife, we, we've learned to try our best 
even at this young age, and we see the challenge coming forward day after day as the kids get older, that we have to teach the kids obedience. You know, like, you'll obey, or I'll just put you in your room and listen to you scream for four hours. The Bible puts it this way. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle. The truth is that God is telling you something there that's pretty profound. I've made you in such a way that I'm going to teach you to be obedient. And I'm not going to do it in such a way that I have to just ride you like a bucking bronco who doesn't understand. I'm going to tell you what to do and then make you pay the consequences if you don't. See, the problem and the difficulty that we have is a failure to shift from some sort of religious attitude to a relationship attitude with God. See, that's the problem that most of us have. We have to have a relationship with God where we're like, yeah, he's my father. When things aren't going the right way, we have to go, hey, dad, what's going on? Have you ever thought about that? When things aren't going right in your life, have you ever thought that you need to just look to God and go, hey, dad, what's going on? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? How long do I have to wait? What has to change inside of me, Dad? How can I be like you? Because I want to tell you something. God wants you to be like his son, Jesus. And he'll make you that way. He will. He's faithful. But you have to make that shift to that relationship. Where your view and perception of God is not is not what the slanderers would say. You can't misrepresent God. And you can't believe the misrepresentations of the enemy. Because they will misrepresent God. Sometimes by overtly lying. Sometimes by playing on your guilt or your failures. Sometimes they'll do it by making you feel a sense of personal worth or merit. You know, I see people all the time, they walk up to God in a prayer room and they're like, God, don't you see my merit badge? Don't you see who I am, God? That might not be you, but I can tell you. And I'm not talking about anyone in particular here. I'm just talking about the things that happen inside of our hearts, like attitudes. They happen inside of our hearts. They happen inside of our hearts and they affect our spirit. And then sometimes we get a collection of those things all together. We get others like we are. You ever notice that? 
I have. I walked into my house grumpy, and then all of a sudden, a half hour later, I looked around and everybody else is grumpy. <laughs> How'd that happen? It's because there's a responsibility that I have when I walk in my house. Responsibility to have an attitude that can be reciprocated. See, sometimes many people, they have a big problem because we only act in response. This is one of the first things I had to learn when I started to serve God for real, that I couldn't just act in response. Because what the devil would do is he would make me want to respond very poorly in times that were critical. Right? Have you ever come into church and you want to punch somebody in the church in the face? I have. God bless you. Women, you always, you're always nicer than us men. This is how we use it all the time. Yeah, yeah, that was a don't raise your hand. No, no, my sister gave me a look like I don't do that. God bless you. You're right. But let me tell you something. You can't just always act in response. Women have a different rule, though. Since we're talking about a family here, women like to be passive, don't they? Right? They have that leave the weight of the relationship on the other attitude. Right? Like, oh yeah, my husband's kind of messed up, so I'll just sit back and watch the fireworks. Or I'll, you know, I'll just stand back and I'll put the weight of the relationship on God. You know, it's a misassumption that if a relationship is genuine and true, that we're at liberty to act whatever way we want. You know, like we can act without impunity. That's, a, that's the attitude that the world has. Well, if God's good, he wouldn't do that. If God's good, he'll love me no matter what. You know how many sinners I've heard? They're like, why would God have a problem? I drink a little bit too much. Oh, well. If God's good, why would he, why would he make me like beer so much? The truth is that some people have an attitude that any constraint is a restraint. But sometimes you have to understand that God makes restrictions so that you understand what a violation is. So you can violate what he did. Some people would rather sacrifice relationship for their own selfishness. And I want to tell you something. It affects how you view things. You know, it'll affect how you relate to your church. It'll affect how you relate to your family. It'll affect how you relate to your personal role. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about Jesus tonight. I close with the fact that we're supposed to be like Jesus. 
and how Jesus acted towards his enemy. See, Jesus had an attitude towards his enemy. You know, Jesus did things like died on the cross and then waited for his brothers to get saved.
And God took a little church in Phoenix, Arizona, and created a home, a house for us. And they all didn't come one at a time. I mean, I should say they all came one at a time. But there was long gaps in between. God kept it going. He kept it moving. He kept on giving. And I want to tell you something. We're a home here. We're a house where God can heal the broken heart. He can take the desperate and he can patch them up and send them out You know, it's not a small thing that Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross, made God our Father. It's a big thing. You know, there was a time in my life when I had no hope. And God, through his infinite wisdom, brought me here. He brought me right to this altar. And he said, you're my son, and this is your home. Wow. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. 
I need Jesus to pay the price for me. I, I see what I've done now. I see what I've done wrong. I, I see the price that, that, that I would pay if I were to live on my own merits. And I don't want to live on those anymore. I want to repent and, and ask you to be my Lord and Savior. You're in this place. You're not right with God. You raise your hand from left to right. You want to be forgiven of your sins. God loves you. He cares about you. cares about you. He knows what you're going through. That feeling inside you, that's the Holy Spirit. It's God saying, come, come. Maybe you're backslidden. Sin has gotten a hold of you. You, you once prayed, you, you were filled with the Holy Spirit, even, but then you walked away for whatever reason. You want to come back to God. You, you do that real quick. Left to right. Amen. We're all safe in this place. Believe God in this place. And I want to pray for our family. I want us to come together as a family, and I want us to take a step of faith. Listen, there's, there's people in our families that need the love of Christ. There's people in our families that need restoration or healing. I want you to come forward. We're going to open up these altars. You stand. We're going to sing a song. You come forward. Listen. We're going to pray together. As one family, created me a clean heart. Oh, God.
In Jesus' name I pray. Let's pray again. Oh, church 
we had very little, but I was able to get my wife a little cat named Marshall. And Marshall was uh, probably the greatest thing that I ever experienced. The first Christmas with Marshall, uh, he loved to be finicky and he loved all the, the toys. And we didn't have a kid back then. And so Marshall got all the gifts. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, we truly enjoyed it. I still can look back fondly at those pictures. And I want you to consider that tonight, God's family. You know, that God does things. Uh, because the Bible doesn't, doesn't pull any punches here. It paints a very different picture than we often assume. Because in the context of family, what God is saying is that we have a relationship with him. That he deals with us like a father deals with a son. That we are able to do his will just like a, a father would hand over the family business to his son. And maybe we all have to deal with something that, that God wants us to deal with, that, that we all have trouble with. Anyone who has an older brother knows what I'm talking about, and that is that Jesus, he's the figure of our older brother. He gets the inheritance. He's the perfect one. And you have to deal with that. The fact that you're never going to upstage Jesus. You're never going to walk into God's house and, and, and be the one, the most important one in the house. Because Jesus is going to be there. And all the glory and all the power and all the authority is going to go to Jesus. And you're going to be his little younger brother or his little younger sister. Unlike our natural brothers and sisters, though, he probably isn't going to beat us up. See, he's going to help us fulfill our father's destiny for us. And the purpose for our lives. Wouldn't that be nice if we all had brothers on earth that helped us fulfill the destiny of God? One of the things that I've prayed for recently since my brother got saved just a few, five months ago, six months ago, sorry. Eight months ago. Eight months ago. Times are flying. I guess he isn't progressing the way I wanted him to. <laughs> No, uh, honestly, one of the prayers that I prayed is that that he would be able to help me fulfill the will of God for my life. That that he would become part of this family, and I really feel great uh, privilege to tell you all that that uh, he has shared with me on many occasions the kindness that you've shown him and how much it means to him uh, to have real friends. Real friends that, that know God. You know, the Old Testament is, is really clear about this. The imagery, the, the whole thing is about genealogies and it's about Adam and his family. It's about Noah and his family. It's about Abraham and his family. It's about various kings and priests and their families. And uh, the New Testament does something that I want to talk about tonight and that's, it moves beyond that. 
It goes beyond just flesh and blood. You know, it's the issue of the spirit. It's because of faith. And it's expressed in the terms of God as our father. As I said, Jesus as our elder brother. And our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. Overall, the text that we're going to read tonight is about the idea that we all are becoming a household of God. Wouldn't that be neat for us to be in heaven and God to talk about this little household, this little household here that had brothers and sisters move on to build other households in Medellin, Colombia and Ningbo, China. How this household opened up one day and allowed a pastor to come in who could barely speak English from India and preach his first message. And now he has many households in India. You know, this is what it's about, and we don't think about that often enough, I think. And I want to express that tonight because I think God wants to just let us be a household and a family here together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 says these words, For through him, meaning Jesus Christ, we both have access by one spirit to the Father, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says these words. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Let's pray tonight. Lord, Father God, I ask you, I ask you, Father God, to pour out your presence upon this place so that as one spirit we come together as a household under Christ Jesus. And that, Lord, Father God, as we worship you and we glorify you and we exalt the name of Jesus Christ, that this household be magnified and be fruitful and be built and known by its love. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. The picture that I'm talking about involves something very special, doesn't it? It's a privileged relationship. You know, anyone knows this, who can think about the realm and the dimensions of, of blessing that we're talking about here. Um, it's different to be in certain households, isn't it? it? It means something, where you come from and who you are. And it also bears responsibilities, doesn't it? I'll be honest with you, I remember looking at my dad one day and realizing 
He had a hard time living up to the responsibilities of being an only son in an Italian, Irish, working class family. All of his sisters very successful and him just a hardworking guy who never seemed to get the kind of respect. I remember sitting in family functions and thinking to myself, they, they don't respect him the way that I wish they would. And I remember that responsibility, but I also remember the just intense blessings that I had from being a part of my own family, even my own family, even my flawed human family. I remember the blessings that came from that. You know, God doesn't build families for no reason. He doesn't build them just to dispel them. But there are some myths out there that I think you have to think about. One of the biggest ones that we have to take care of right off the bat, because if we're going to be a family in a household, we have to have someone who runs the household. You're not a household if you're all doing your own thing. You're just a bunch of people who live near each other. Can we say amen? Or? It's true. One of the biggest myths is that we're all God's children. That's not true. Entrance into the family of God is conditional. And it's clearly stated in the scripture. You know, it's through Jesus that we become a household with God. You know, another one that we have is once a child of God, always a child of God. I'll tell you something else. Continuance in the kingdom of God is also conditional. Hebrews 3.14 says, partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. If we do that. Steadfast to the end. I've often shared with you the amazing blessing of my children and my family and my wife. But I, I will tell you one thing. One of the most powerful moments in my entire life was when I looked at my wife and said, no matter how bad it gets, we're going to serve God. No matter what. We're going to serve God. No matter how bad. And I want to tell you, that wasn't necessarily an easy thing to say. But can I tell you the approval that I felt from God is something that I hold in my heart dearly to this day. You know, God met me on a street corner. I was broken and desperate. I had no hope. He met me there. And he told me that I had to give him my life. That's what he told me. And that doesn't change. Because you would spend a few years or a few months or a few days even. Some people nowadays, they think they spend a few days in church, they're all good. There's a lot of people like that. But that's not a family, like I said. A family 
knows that it's possible because by their own conduct, by their own lifestyle, by their own heart, and their own faith, they decide to stay within the family. They never move outside of it. They never go outside of it. They say, no, this is my family. A lot of us think we're like the Godfather, you know, and he keeps pulling me back in. That's not how God is. God sits and he waits for his prodigal son to come. And then when he sees his son has made that decision and come to right thinking, he runs to him. But only then. Can I tell you that's what happened to me? That's exactly what happened to me. I don't think that's it. Mistake by God. It's a, a need that we have to let God renew our minds. To renew the attitudes that we have and the understandings that we have. To have an approach to our own role in the household of God. To say, this is how I need to be. You know, the prodigal son, it's an amazing story because he doesn't go back thinking he's going to have the same position. The amazing thing about that story is he goes back saying, the worst position in my father's household is better than the best position out here. That's his heart. He realizes what it's like out there. One of the things that I've prayed many times, listen, I've had days where I've been like, I do not want to go to the church today. It's a mess. And I've had to say, God, get the devil out of my head. That is not right thinking. I don't care how many great juices Ramon has dropped on the carpet. I'll come in and clean it. I don't care how many times my kid makes a mess in the nursery. I'll go and I'll clean it gladly. I don't care how many times some teenager comes in here and doesn't even want to be here. I'll preach the word of God. And as a parent, I will bring them gladly into God's house because I love them. Because I care for them. And because I'm going to give them every opportunity to see what God can do in their lives. Because that day, that day, when they run to him, I want to be there. I want to be a part of that household. I know that I said some tough things tonight already. But I want to just tell you something. Being a part of a household is tough. You know, when I think of, like I said, the Christmas spirit and the Christmas holiday, I think of a tough time. You know, I remember a preacher joking about, you know, it's not hard, it's not easy to ride on a donkey while you're pregnant for 50 miles. You know, we glamorize things, don't we? 
not how it was. It was cold and it was harsh. And the conditions weren't good. And it was difficult. And they were saying to themselves, we're going to serve God no matter what. That's what they were saying. Don't get involved in all of the things that aren't of God. You know, Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he writes these words. He's talking to a young pastor who's, you know, he's kids beat up. You know, young pastors, they get beat up. Trust me, I know. First Timothy 3, verse 15, he says these words. He says, but if I am delayed, I write you so that you may know you want to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God the pillar and ground of the truth. You know, people nowadays, they want to knock churches. They want to knock the local church. Oh, man, the local churches, you got to deal with local people. Nah, you know. Just listen to Joel, see, you'll be fine. Joey Spires is great. She'll help you. That's not the message you get from the Bible. The Bible says that the house of God is the church. That we have an obligation, just like we have an obligation to pay our bills at our home. And living in the light of a relationship is important. You know, we all talk about living in the light of God, right? And, you know, having the God's light shine in our lives. But have you ever shined the light in a place that's really dark? Or has been dark for a while? I have. I do it a lot. I expect old, nasty pump rooms and risers where no one goes for years sometimes. You shine a light in there and you see some nice things like black widows. Some insects that I don't even know what they are. And God is trying to tell you you need to live in a, in a way that's in light of that situation I've scared off a lot of things. And you need to understand something. It needs to mean something to you, the house of God, and where you are, and what God has done in your life. You need to esteem it and value it. See, there's an inner relationship with God that has to come where he brings some depth to your life. He brings some understanding. He adds, like, extra dimensions to who you are as a person. One of the saddest things is to see a Christian die on the vine. See, it's the desire of the Father that he is able to instruct you, correct you, deal with you. And he's also going to do that to us. 
Have you ever noticed that like whenever the church tries to do something, there's difficulties? That's because he's dealing with us. He can't just deal with you and you and you. Like, have you ever met the champ parent who treats every one of their little kids special? Oh yeah, Johnny, he gets peanut butter, but it's a real thin layer. And then you have to cut off the edges on the outside. And then, oh, Toby, she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't drink um, grape juice. No, no, we gotta have something special for her. Problem is that you don't have any instruction, you don't have any correction, you don't have any dealing. Instead, you have to continually force and threaten them. See, the psalm says it like this. See, there's a basis of your response that has to come and it has to be obedient. I learned a lot from some parents here. Some of the tougher ones, I've learned a lot from them. And me and my wife, we, we've learned to try our best. Even at this young age, and we see the challenge coming forward day after day as the kids get older, that we have to teach the kids obedience. You know, like, you'll obey, or I'll just put you in your room and listen to you scream for four hours. The Bible puts it this way. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle. The truth is that God is telling you something there that's pretty profound. I've made you in such a way that I'm going to teach you to be obedient. And I'm not going to do it in such a way that I have to just ride you like a Bucking Bronco who doesn't understand. I'm going to tell you what to do and then make you pay the consequences if you don't. See, the problem and the difficulty that we have is a failure to shift from some sort of religious attitude to a relationship attitude. See, that's the problem that most of us have. We have to have a relationship with God where we're like, yeah, he's my father. When things aren't going the right way, we have to go, hey, dad, what's going on? Have you ever thought about that? When things aren't going right in your life, have you ever thought that you need to just look to God and go, hey, dad, what's going on? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? How long do I have to wait? What has to change inside of me, Dad? How can I be like you? Because I want to tell you something. God wants you to be like his son, Jesus. And he'll make you that way. He will. He's faithful. But 
but you have to make that shift to that relationship where your view and perception of God is not is not what the slanderers would say. You can't misrepresent God. And you can't believe the misrepresentations of the enemy. Because they will misrepresent God. Sometimes by overtly lying. Sometimes by playing on your guilt. Or your failures. Sometimes they'll do it by making you feel a sense of personal worth or merit. You know, I see people all the time. They walk up to God in a prayer room and they're like, God, don't you see my merit badge? Don't you see who I am, God? That might not be you, but I can tell you. And I'm not talking about anyone in particular here. I'm just talking about the things that happen inside of our hearts, their attitudes. They happen inside of our hearts. They happen inside of our hearts and they affect our spirit. And then sometimes we get a collection of those things all together. We get others like we are. You ever notice that? I have. I walked into my house grumpy, and then all of a sudden, a half hour later, I look around and everybody else is grumpy. <laughs> How'd that happen? It's because there's a responsibility that I have when I walk in my house. Responsibility to have an attitude that can be reciprocated. See, sometimes many people, they have a big problem because we only act in response. This is one of the first things I had to learn when I started to serve God for real, that I couldn't just act in response. Because what the devil would do is he would make me want to respond very poorly in times that were critical. Right? Have you ever come into church and you want to punch somebody in the church in the face? I have. God bless you. You always, you were always nicer than us men. This is how we use all things. Yeah, yeah. That was a don't raise your hand. No, no. My sister gave me a look like I don't do that. God bless you. You're right. But let me tell you something. You can't just always act in response. Women have a different rule, though, since we're talking about a family here. Women like to be passive, don't they? Right? They have that leave the weight of the relationship on the other attitude. Right? Like, oh, yeah, my husband's kind of messed up, so I'll just sit back and watch the fireworks. Or I'll, you know, I'll just stand back and I'll put the weight of the relationship on God. You know, it's a misassumption 
that if a relationship is genuine and true, that we're at liberty to act whatever way we want. You know, like we can act without impunity. That's, it. That's the attitude that the world has. Well, if God's good, he wouldn't do that. If God's good, he'll love you no matter what. You know how many sinners I've heard? They're like, why would God have a problem? I drink a little bit too much. Oh, well. If God's good, why would he, why would he make me like beer so much? The truth is that some people have an attitude that any constraint is a restraint. But sometimes, you have to understand that God makes restrictions so that you understand what a violation is. So you can violate what he did. Some people would rather sacrifice a relationship for their own selfishness. And I want to tell you something. It affects how you view things. You know, it'll affect how you relate to your church. It'll affect how you relate to your family. It'll affect how you relate to your personal role. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about Jesus tonight. I close with the fact that we're supposed to be like Jesus. And how Jesus acted towards the family. See, Jesus had an attitude towards the family. You know, Jesus did things like died on the cross and then waited for his brothers to get saved. Jesus took slander. He took slander because of his disciples. And he said things like, I'm praying for you because I know the enemy and I know what he wants to do to you, against you, to you. He knew what Peter was going to do. He knew the character of Peter, that he was weak, that he was going to get afraid, that he was all talk. He knew that about Peter, but he went up to Peter and he said, brother, I'm praying for you. I know what the devil wants to do to you. And yeah, it's going to hurt when you betray me and you start swearing and acting like a demon as I'm getting beaten after beating after beating. But I'm praying for you. See, Jesus wants to change us. He wants to transform us. He wants to turn us in a house into a household of people who are sacrificial and caring. You know, maybe you are the Martha, and you're going to do a little bit more cooking than the Mary. It's true. You might be that, but you need to play the role of the household and say, you know what? It's for Jesus. I'm doing this for Jesus. <laughs> You know, no matter what your personal role is, God is going to help you if you'll let him work out the issues in your own heart and life. 
You have to let them work them out, though. You can't justify them. They don't line up with the word of God, they're not right. I've seen so many guys. I've seen churches. I've seen all kinds of, of situations. Even in just my short few years of serving God, I've seen so many things happen. It's all because they don't understand the reason why God acts the way he does. His attitude towards always working out. See, God always wants to work out. Because God is about effective relationships. God is a father. We are called to be brethren. Brothers and sisters in Christ, a household of God that works together, helps each other, lifts each other up, brings people to a place where our hearts can be healed. You know, there's people who are suffering and they need a house. They need a household of people that will love them. You know, my family, we, we were broken. We were a broken family. And God took a little church in Phoenix, Arizona, and he created a home, a house for us. And they all didn't come one at a time. I mean, I should say they all came one at a time. But there was long gaps in between. God kept it going. He kept it moving. He kept on giving. And I want to tell you something. We're a home here. We're a house where God can heal the broken heart. He can take the desperate. And he can patch them up. Send them out. You know, it's not a small thing that Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross, made God our Father. It's a big thing. You know, there was a time in my life when I had no hope. And God, through his infinite wisdom, brought me here. He brought me right to this altar. And he said, you're my son, and this is your home. serve an awesome God. And uh, 
I want to give each and every one of us a moment to come to God's altar. And God's altar is not something that's built by human hands. God's altar, God's altar is built by the Holy Spirit. It says that whenever two or more of us gather together, he is there. And I want to tell you, tonight he's here. And he wants to touch hearts. And he wants to transform people. See, we have access by one spirit, and that spirit is the spirit of Jesus Christ, and that spirit died for you. That spirit poured out its blood on Calvary's cross so that you could be forgiven. So that all your guilt and all your shame could be thrown into a sea of forgetfulness. If you're here in this place and you're not born again, You're backslidden. You never have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You never said, God, be my Father in heaven. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need Jesus to pay the price for me. I, I see what I've done now. I see what I've done wrong. I, I see the price that, that, that I would pay if I were to live on my own merits. And I don't want to live on those anymore. I want to repent and, and ask you to be my Lord and Savior. You're in this place. You're not right with God. You raise your hand from left to right. You want to be forgiven of your sins. God loves you. He cares about you. He cares about you. He knows what you're going through. That feeling inside you, that's the Holy Spirit. It's God saying, come, go. Maybe you're backslidden. Sin has gotten a hold of you. You, you once prayed, you, you were filled with the Holy Spirit, even, but then you walked away for whatever reason. You want to come back to God. You, that real quick and left to right. Amen. We're all saved in this place. We believe God in this place. Then I want to pray for our family. I want us to come together as a family and I want us to take a step of faith. Listen, there's, there's people in our families that need the love of Christ. There's people in our families that need restoration or healing. I want you to come forward. We're going to open up these altars. You stand. We're going to sing a song. You come forward. Listen. We're going to pray together as one family. Created me a clean home. Created me a
Lord Father God, I ask you, as you have made me your child, fill me right now with your Holy Spirit. I want to be one with you. I want to be knit to you. I want to have Jesus as the Lord of my household. I give him all dominion that his will be done in my life, for my family, for my loved ones. As you never forgot about me, I vow tonight that you put inside my heart a love for your family, for your church. I ask you, Lord, save my brethren, save my loved ones. Lord, let us come together as one. We give you all the praise and the glory. I will walk in light of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's pray again. Amen. Make a friend before you go tonight. 